This is Many Windows. We are part of the Independent Podcast Network. Find other great shows at independentpodcast.network. Many Windows is a podcast in which we explore stories from the wide world of education from the perspective of two educational leaders with more than 40 years of collective experience. My name is John Cassie, and I am the co-founder of Qualia, the School for Deeper Learning in Calabasas, California. I'm joined by Jennifer McGlemory, as always, formerly the principal of Dolores Huerta Middle School in Burbank, California, but now doing some interesting work that she'll tell us about right at the start of the show. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, John. Good to see you. Same. It's been a long time. It has been. I guess uh, it won't feel that way for our listeners. No, no. But for us, you know. Come right uh, as it's supposed to. But it's been, we've both been tackling some new things and life changes. And it's set us off our schedule a little bit. But it's good to see you. Same. Same. So so tell tell the audience kind of what you're doing now. Because you know, big public middle school, hundreds of kids, one kind of kind of work and yep. now a very different kind. Yeah. I mean, I, I spent 23 years in public education first as a teacher, you know, then I went into administration and, and was in administration for the last 17 years. And right. I decided I wanted to go back to school to become a school psychologist. Right. Um, I've always had a real strong passion, belief in special education and Mm -hmm. uh, how we can make school better for kids who learn differently. Mm -hmm. And um, I really want, I feel that being a school psychologist, I can dig into that even deeper and hopefully work, you know, whereas an administrator, you're doing so many things. I've said to people before, you feel like a jack of all trades and a right and an expert in none. And I really want to be an expert in this field and be able to consult more with administration, still design those programs, still right. be able to be a resource for teachers. Uh, and more importantly, you know, I want to talk directly to the students and yeah. parents and help them understand, you know, what the process is all about. So that's my kind of why for uh, mm-hmm. thrown in the towel on administration right now. But but in many districts, uh, school psychologists are part of a management team. And so yeah. there is still a lot of program development, which I like. So in the meantime, while I'm going to school for the next three years, I also, uh, being not independently wealthy, uh, do have to work <laughs> right. <laughs> and find something that I can do that allows me in the evenings to go to school and study and do that fieldwork component. So I had an opportunity uh, to create a little what I call learning pod. It's a small group of kids that are uh, between third and fifth grade. Right now, there's three students that Mm -hmm. I work with every day, and they're either homeschooled or part of an online charter, but they come to me during the day from 8.30 to 2, and they have you know, math, science, social science, English. I brought in a good friend of mine who was on this podcast, Donald Durham, who's a great math guy. He's a great math guy. He's doing math and science for me. Um, And then I'm doing the English social studies teaching. And um, yeah, we've, it's, I've named it promise Academy, our little class. And uh, we're still kind of recruiting. I, 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 
originally I thought, oh, 10 will be the most. We've got a little space that's actually at a church. We have our uh-huh. classroom at a church. And I thought, oh, we'll, we'll have like 10 kids. And now that I'm in the space and it's like, mm, I think six might be. Right. <laughs> right, right. I got these great desks that you can fold up and move out of the way. So sometimes we're, you know, sitting on the floor. We do yoga every Friday. Nice. You know, we do some PE in the classroom when it's super hot. You know? right. So we're moving the furniture around all the time, which is really fun. You know, you love right. that. Oh, that, yeah. Uh, thinking about space and how we use right space right. in education so but man is it a lot of work how I, yeah. I say to myself how can three kids be this much work but i guess that's what every parent of three or more kids has always said all of their life and they're all now laughing laughing i'm telling you it was easier teaching 35 kids than right. three kids all right. day yeah so. there, there, there there's something about uh kind of micro schools pod schools right that is so exciting. And I, you know, obviously I, I work at a, uh, you know, at a micro school and I'm building a micro school community and, and love it, but you need the full, you need the full apparatus of a school, whether you have 500 kids or 50. Yeah. Yeah. You, you need all of the pieces regardless of the size. Right. Yeah. So it's shocking when you have three and you feel like, why am I not able to do all of this myself? Surely I'm up to the task and yet you can't be because you need all these other people to help you, right? It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I love the flexibility uh, that we have, yet understand the need for structure, right? There's all these kind of yin and yang about it, right? You have all, you can do anything. And yet there needs to be this structure. There needs to be this consistency. Having just a few kids seems, oh, great. You know, you can really individualize for the kids. Yes, you can. But then not having a critical mass, you sometimes need the social pressure uh, in a positive way when you want everybody, you know, behaviorally to kind of be doing the same thing. If you got two out of three, the three kids who don't want to do something, it's so much harder to get to that motivation, which I think we'll be right. talking a little bit about today. Right. Um, I'm excited. We're gonna we, we're gonna talk a little bit about motivation because I'm I'm certainly struggling with it with a couple of my kids. Yeah. I think this will really uh, ring true for a lot of parents, maybe as you right. are working with your kids at home for homework, and of course, every teacher has kids in their class that that aren't real motivated and right you know so we had at the when we talked about all of our topics we knew we wanted to talk about praise right and, and that's course, today's episode and that's what we're going to talk about today yeah and i think it's we both said before we started recording you know our our schema has been the myths that that we believe about education but i'm not quite sure what our tagline is going to be for this is it praise is good praise is bad uh, right, right. It, this one's a little tricky. The others, sure. you know, all the previous episodes, uh, our stance was clear. Here is myth X. Stop thinking that this is true, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the challenge here is that when you look at praise, reward, motivation uh, in in the educational setting with kids or indeed with adults, it gets a little 
it gets a little messy, right? I suppose the myth is that praise is always good. Okay, yes. Right? Or like that, that praise is always the right angle, there you go. right? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a certain kind of um, silly meme-like um, uh, kind of frame of understanding this with the, you know, well, of course these people are have no resilience and are snowflakes because they got participation trophies for merely, you know, only falling down three times and all this kind of stuff. And then those, those kids look at the adults who, who are now criticizing them and say, well, you're the ones who gave out all the participation trophies. Right. right. So what the hell's wrong with you people? Right. right. You know, um, you know, as a generation X person, uh, you know, we were, uh, you know, we were, we were trained to, uh, you know, cook our own meals and to, uh, you know, open the, you know, we had a key to the house at age five and, mm -hmm. you know, we walked home two miles, you know, uphill uh, both ways in the snow. No one picked us up from school, blah, blah, blah. And so our response was to give all of this lavish praise, which turns out to not be the right choice. Right. Yeah. Well, because too I much is the wrong thing. There you not go. enough is the wrong thing. Right. And so I, I guess listeners, the myth is don't think that it, that it always accomplishes your goal mm -hmm. because there's lots of evidence that uh, that used incorrectly, it can cause all kinds of problems that you don't want. Right? Yeah. And yeah. maybe it's like praise is not the key to motivation. Right. Uh, yeah. I think there's I, good evidence. That's true. Yeah. As, as I was getting ready for this episode, I came across something that talked about, you know, that the 1970s, was the self-esteem movement. Right. And that began this idea that positive feedback was crucial for the development of confident adults. So right. it's kind of the correct, it's almost like, oh yeah, what we always do in education, uh, which is like, here's a good idea. Let's absolutely take it to the max. Right. And overuse it. And now we've, found out some of the problems with that whole idea right right yeah i mean it in in the the research that that i've been doing for this episode the three concepts that feel to me like they're overlapping you know you've got a venn diagram but it's not all the way it's not one thing is this notion of self-esteem right mm -hmm. very 70s very flower child very kind of you know oh build up your uh build build up your belief in yourself regardless of anything true about you yeah right yeah. you know and then this more uh hard and fast concept of self-concept mm -hmm. right well who are you actually mm -hmm. right and you know you end up with these kinds of uh you know bookshelves full of the 12 uh, archetypes of the blah 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 right which is sort of well it, you know am i it's myers-briggs right you know am i an enfj am, am i a, uh am, am, am i an aries am i it that's what it is right mm -hmm. but it is useful to have a sense of where of where you are in terms of your skills and your attitudes your abilities so that when you're asked to do things, you know, you can be a little more 
well, that doesn't really land. I'm, I'm not likely to be good at that. So I don't think I'm your guy kind of thing. Right. Well, and, and then, then, yeah. Well, I was going to say what I'm um, dealing with, with uh, some of my students is also the idea of self-efficacy. Yeah. Do you believe that if you work hard at something, you will be able to do it? Right. Is, is my definition of, and I see, and I did in middle school and I'm, and I'm right up against it right now of kids that they look at the piece of paper that you've given them, or they look at the assignment and don't even start. I can't do it. Nope. One glance. Right. Do it. right. How did they get there? That's what right. I'm always so interested in. Like, why right. is it that you, because I know that you can do this, but yes, it is going to take you sitting down, rereading it a couple of times, thinking about it, working through it right. to be able to do this. But this is within what I believe you can do. But if they don't believe they can do it, and I just read a, a research paper about ADHD and the yeah. self-efficacy and how right. the ADHD brain does that even more <clears> so. <throat> one look and is like, nope, I can't do it. I'm right. not even going to try. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's uh, closer to that concept of self-concept rather than self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, if you if, if you have poor resilience, mm -hmm. if you have you have very low self-confidence, then uh, you see any problem as being a far higher hill to climb than it actually is. Yeah, right? it's insurmountable. Yeah, when in fact, it's just, it's just high. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's always, it's always a little troubling to me when you encounter a third grader. Yeah make, you know, reporting these kinds of self perspectives. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we're going to argue that it might in fact be coming from excessive or mis misguided praise, misaligned praise. Right. Yes. That if the student believes that your praiseworthy language is deceitful or is serving some some uh social or family goal that isn't related to the task they're just they're just not going to believe you mm -hmm. very quickly they're going to come not to believe you and then all of your praise language going forward is just going to be really really in the service of uh, of of outcomes that are not what you're looking for right yeah. yeah, you're talking about that general praise or that inflated praise of, oh, you're the smartest, right. you're the prettiest, you're the best. And right. I, I think very quickly, uh, kids start to see through that and see that, though, this isn't really based on my performance. This is just right. something you say that you think is going to motivate me. Right. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, anyone doing any kind of work or research in this area is going to be encountering the work of Stanford University psychologist Carol Dweck. Yes. Who has written about what's called mindset. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Contrasting a mindset of growth versus a fixed mindset. And 
these these different mindsets uh, to the degree that Dweck is right. Dweck herself has said, uh, I stand by the book mindset, but I don't stand by what people are doing with it mm. because they, they're, they're, they're not reading the book, right? They're reading, you know, hundred word articles on the internet about growth mindset and fixed mindset. And then they're trying to apply these principles where they, they really ought not. Right. Um, so they're going to encounter Dweck. Okay. And basically what you've got in Dweck's work to the degree that I understand it, right, is these theories of mind and the personality that are that are in relation with each other or conflict with each other, okay? First notion here, sort of entity theory, okay, which holds that key abilities of the human being are rooted in specific talents, not in discipline or hard work. And if that's true, I don't think she thinks that's true, but but if that's true, uh, praise can lead kids to give up when they encounter any difficulty. Because if it's about talent, I either have it or I don't. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's not really the mindset way of thinking, but plenty of people think this way. Oh right? yeah. Okay. It's almost like a protective factor. Yes. Right. If I fail at something, um, it's even worse if I tried, you know, tried hard and failed at it. It's right. easier for me to just go, oh, I just clearly don't have a talent in this area. I'm not ever going to do it again, if right. possible. Right. I was that way with softball. I was like, yeah, no, I, I just clearly don't have any talent in softball. I will stick with basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's where your your third grader who looks at the math and says, I cannot do this. Yeah, I'm no they, good at math. Yeah, I'm I am not good at math, good at math yep. right? Uh, and I think, you know, from my perspective, there are certain kinds of tasks that uh, some people have a, a greater gift for for accomplishing. I'm not yeah. likely to be a, a top 3% marathon runner. <laughs> right. Right. Um, Yet if you started running each day, you would clearly get better at running, right? Like yes. That's, that's the distinction between fixed mindset and growth mindset. Correct. Right there right. in an analogy. Right. So yes, we can all with effort, we can get better at whatever the task is. Right. Even if we don't have that natural ability or natural, right. not you know, natural, you know, Michael Phelps showed us there's a body type for swimming that uh, right. if you have that rare body type, you can be in that elite. Right. Um, and there, and we know that there's, you know, we talk about mathematical brains and, you know, left and right brains and right which we're going like to talk that. about later yeah yeah yep. and so we we do we sometimes perpetuate this idea even right. as teachers right. um, when we're trying to praise kids for a giftedness or a talent in an area and that you're saying could very well backfire yes for sure right uh 
So we've got this one kind of concept that informs her work, right? <clears throat> and then this notion of what's called incremental theory, where you should think about praise, but it should focus on effort and skill building. Why? Because the growth mindset is, is an open-minded notion that work, discipline, effort can advance your skills in virtually anything. And that your belief that your that anything that is inherent to you is the only thing that is true about you is is false, right? Mm -hmm. And uh and you shouldn't be using, you know, elite Kenyan marathoners as your comparison set. Right. If you want to run a marathon, right? Um, you shouldn't be using Michael Phelps as your comparison set if you want to be a competitive swimmer, because you might be really great, but you may not be Phelpsian. Mm -hmm. And who cares, right? It's about you. Focus on yourself, right? Self-concept, right? Yeah. I am I am a runner is different from I am uh uh I am capable of being the fastest marathoner, you know, in the in, in the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those are those are different things. Okay. Uh and self-confidence shouldn't be undone because you're not gonna be the best of a thing ever right um but the notion that you can't do a thing is it's ridiculous it's indefensible it's not true yeah um and that's where that's where the praise reward uh framework gets really tricky right yeah praise with a a skill that a student is struggling with and if you don't get it exactly right, then the student won't believe you. Yeah. Right. And we don't we don't need any we don't need that. Right. And right. yeah, go. I also, I also came across something as we were getting ready, um, and I believe that this is also something that Carol Dweck writes about: is sometimes that praise can set an impossibly high bar, and then uh, kids become frustrated and um, anxious yep. about meeting the expectations of that person that they care about. So whether it's a parent or maybe it's a teacher that they have a great relationship with, we have to be really careful because sometimes the type of praise that we use when the students hear it, what they hear is you know, I have to meet this bar, this threshold for this person to continue to think I'm great, to, you know, love me, to, you know, all. And, and then they start to become very anxious and just crippled right. by trying to meet this, these expectations. So that was exactly a little bit, a little bit nervous, like the, the and um, they feel they this 
the pressure to live up to either their parents or their teachers' expectations, I guess, is the way right. it leads to a fixed mindset and yep. it leads to this kind of panic and anxiety. Right, right. And the more the young person perceives the praise as extreme, mm-hmm. the more likely it's going to backfire, yeah, right? Right. And it's going to backfire along two, two uh, different planes, okay? It could backfire in that kids will resist it, even when it's true, and just resist taking on new challenges because they're, they're so, uh, uh, they, they view the praise as being so out of alignment with their self-concept, mm-hmm. right? Or, and this, this idea comes from uh, an Australian researcher named Helen McGrath, who works at RMIT University in Melbourne. She says, lavishing children with praise can create a very high self-esteem. But that can backfire. A child told that they're fabulous all the time can develop an inflated self-concept, mm. a warped self-concept. And that's going to build narcissism and a tendency to bullying. Hmm. And I've certainly seen that. I have seen that in my in, in my career. In addition to the sort of Dweckian yeah. fixed, fixed mindset. Uh, you know, I've seen any number of students and frankly, teachers who, who approach their work from that fixed place that Dweck's talking about, right? The growth mindset is hard to stimulate and it's hard to sustain, right? But this uh, inflated self-concept, narcissism, intellectual and or otherwise bullying. Oh God, yes. I've seen that all the time. Yeah, yeah, that person whose whole self-concept is wrapped up in being the best at this thing, right? Right. And then, you know, almost, and then just being so difficult to be around. Yes. Because of that. That's what you're talking about. I know those people. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't often think of, of that personality or those that kind of specifically toxic kind of yeah yeah kind of uh re- 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 relationship as coming from praise yeah right but that's where it's often coming from mm-hmm. right and and so you know li- listeners the the point is praise is a is a is a is a uh is a dangerous weapon yeah, right. The blade wisely. is sharp on both sides. Too much, and you build in all sorts of things you don't want. Not enough, you build in something else. Mm-hmm. So you have to use it effectively, right? Now, you know, Jennifer, we've been talking about Dweck and we've been talking about Helen McGrath. You read uh, for a class that you were in uh, a different way of thinking about this that brings in notions of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation? Yeah, we were talking. Yeah, so to to talk about that. So uh, whenever I start thinking about praise and reading about it, it just always leads into this idea of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation because 
as teachers, we're always trying to tap into that intrinsic motivation and we rely so heavily on extrinsic. So rewards and different, you know, in praise can be an extrinsic motivator. Yeah. It's or what we use for extrinsic motivation. And um, we're always kind of, I, I know I've said over, over my years in the field, it's like, if I could just figure out the key to unlocking motivation in kids, I could solve every issue in education, right? Because that's that motivation that gets kids to persist and be gritty and be resilient is uh-huh. it's all about motivation. So there were right. a few things I read um, about motivation that I did not know before. And one of them is that motivation declines as a student ages. Interesting. I've never heard yeah. this. Right. Okay. So when I tell you these things, you're going to go, oh yes, of course, this all makes sense. So as students go through school from elementary to middle to high school, there are a few contextual variables that change that lead to this. So number one, there's less support for students in the classroom, right? Because they're going from this smaller environment, one teacher, one group of kids, you know, now they're in their, they could be a big fish in a small pond in elementary, then they move up into middle school and then high school, even more so less support. That's one of the issues. There's more classroom competition. So our focus in Ah. middle school and high school, even more is less about, you know, effort, and right. it, you know, even I know in the district that I was in, in elementary, we had a report card that was one, two, three, and four. You know, are you, it was standards based. Are you approaching the standard? Are you at the right. meeting the standard? Are you exceeding it? Elementary was all about, you know, effort and right. approaching that standard and boop, you get to middle school. It's great. A, B, C, D, F. It's, and there's this kind right. of con there's a focus on performance yeah testing you know as your way of proving your worth as a student and um there becomes so as a result of all of these things as students get older they just have a decrease in their academic self-efficacy coupled with think about the adolescent brain and already they're decreasing in their self-concept and right. and their self-esteem naturally right. during this period of time anyway right they already you know feel like things are um the way that they look they're not happy with it all of these uh, uh areas so right. it makes a lot of sense for why this happens um the the work gets harder you have to persist Um, at a task for, for much longer. I, and I think it's really interesting. What one thing I've observed, and I'd be curious to know if you have too, the difference with kind of gifted and talented students Mm. versus, versus, you know, my students who are in special education, when it came to motivation, resiliency, and grit. So all through elementary school, the kids who tested as gifted or just were high achievers it's everything came easy for them the tasks were relatively simple they everything school was easy for them as the tasks got harder they started to 
question whether they really are gifted or not, right? There's a name yeah. for this, the imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden things get more complicated in middle school and high school. And so they think, oh my gosh, I've been lied to this whole time. Right. I've been told that I'm the smartest, I'm gifted, I'm top of the class. It, and it's not true. And yeah, I didn't have to put much work into it. Apparently it's not true. I'm faking it this whole time. Right. Right. Whereas students in special education, I saw an opposite where they knew early on second and third grade, they looked around, they're like, this is, I am struggling so much more with what you're asking me to do than everybody else in class. So initially they, they start to believe that they're stupid, but if they can get over that hump, And if they can actually, you know, get the support that they need, it takes them multiple, it takes them much more time to do an assignment and it takes them multiple iterations, but they actually start to develop those skills that you need for lifelong uh, success is like, yeah, there will, they put in the time, they know that it takes hard work to achieve their goals and they have a little more, um, more sense of what they can do and the amount of work that it takes. Like that's the positive end there's on whether it's special education, your average kids or your gifted kids, they can also have these different um, understanding of their academic self-worth. And this is another thing that I came across that I think you'll find interesting from this researcher called Martin Covington. Now this is something I had never heard before, but talking about how students preserve those feelings of academic self-worth. And so some students, uh, their academic motivations can be broken into either they're motivated to uh, try for success or they're motivated to avoid failure. It Uh seems like the same thing, but it's two totally different. uh, Yeah, it's totally totally different. different Really, right? So some kids are what are called overstrivers. So these students are highly motivated to strive for success, but they're also highly motivated to avoid failure. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they do a great deal of, they put their effort into avoiding self-handicapping. So they're like, they're preparing extensively, probably much more than is actually needed for a task. And then the result is all this anxiety. Um, so anxiety is produced by these, just this, these overwhelming thoughts of failure and dread of failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it motivates them to keep studying, but you can see that this is not a healthy paradigm to live in, right? Right. And we all know kids like that. They are just oh, yeah. as afraid of failure as they are as being motivated to just achieve, like that's their primary motivator. Right. So they're, they're called over strivers as, and then they're, uh, uh, here's the opposite, not opposite, but here's the more positive version is a success oriented optimist. So they value academic achievement, but they're not as worried about failing. So the students will work hard, uh, but, but unlike the over strivers, they're not pers- particularly motivated by anxiety. Um, And so they don't, they don't have all these self handicapping um, uh, strategies. And which means like, uh, it means that they're like, 
the meaning of failure. Sometimes they'll use defensive pessimism, such as changing the meaning of failure to, uh, to have unrealistically low expectations. Uh-huh. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like failure, then there's, there's another type of student called the failure avoider. So they're not motivated to do the work since, you know, academic success has little meaning for them, but they, they do want to preserve this sense of being intelligent and capable. So if if failure avoiders fail, then, then uh, it must be somehow, uh, you know, not attributed to their ability. So how do they do that? They self-sabotage. They don't study. They then they don't have to put in the effort and fail. Right. And they're just like, oh, I'm I'm gonna, these are the, the self-handicapping strategies. They're gonna either procrastinate and do something at the very last minute. So it's right. not their best work, or right. they can't, you know, they can't redo it, or they stay up all night studying, cramming so that they're so exhausted right. that they don't right. perform well. Right. These right. are these self-handicapping strategies that they use. So the failure avoiders are um, actually increasing the likelihood of failure, but they're avoiding that feeling that they tried really hard and right. worked really hard at right. something and then still failed. That's right. what they're trying That's to That's what's got to be avoided, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, we also, the fourth type is the failure acceptors. So these are students that just don't seem to care much about success or failure, right? They, they may have some learned helplessness or they just feel completely rejected by the academic system. Right. And they just don't see any value in even trying. Um, and right. so you know, we, we know of a lot of kids. I've seen it in special education. We've seen it. If you ever have worked in an area of high poverty, um, right where they just, they, again, it's kind of self, like a self-protective mechanism that they employ, um, is, is they're like, I'm just gonna, yeah, like, yep, I can't do this. Yes. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm no good at school. And that somehow protects them from putting themselves out there and then failing at it. Right. Right. Yeah. All of these motivational frameworks can be uh, managed by the right kind of praise, yes, by the right kind of rewards, and can be exacerbated by the wrong kinds, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, I've encountered all of these kinds of kids, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, the the highly gifted students who don't have uh, a great deal of emotional regulation capacity who. Uh, encounter an actual challenge for the first time, maybe in fifth grade or sixth grade, and it just is blows them out of the water, right? Yeah. Uh, or they're actually um, expected to rise to a standard that a teacher can actually create that's appropriate for them. And they've never encountered that, right? So that mm-hmm. then, um, you know, turns them from one thing into some other thing very, very quickly, right? And the the students who have a uh, a high motivation to avoid failure uh, when they're praised inappropriately, they're going to view the whole world they live in is totally inauthentic. Yeah. Right. 
it's tricky. Yeah, so we we've got to you know we've got to end this episode on a positive note. So I hope you've got some okay. Um, so some here's strategies for us. Here, so I've done some reading. Okay. Shocking, right? And I've got three. I've got nine bullet points, things to do. Okay? okay, or not to do. All right. Okay. So first, uh, avoid extreme praise mm-hmm. in all forms. Okay. Overpraising. Overpraising. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or overly enthusiastic. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. Uh, avoid praising kids for achievements that come easily. Yes. Okay. Avoid overpraising when kids do stuff that they enjoy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's uh, very uh, problematic from a uh, motivation perspective. Okay. Daniel Pink wrote about this in uh, his book, Drive. Okay. Uh, avoid praise that is comparative. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, process praise. Good on you for sticking to a procedure or for trying something that was complex, right? That can be good because it recognizes a child's choices or it recognizes hard work. And those are things we want to reinforce. So in other words, praise the effort, not the product. Praise the effort, not the outcome. Okay. Uh, With young people, really young people, praise for pro-social behavior. Mm-hmm. can help them understand what pro-social behavior is. Okay, so it's worth doing. Uh, focus on support and encouragement all the time, not just when someone has accomplished something that is legitimately praiseworthy. Um, avoid insincerity mm-hmm. or praise yeah. that might be perceived as insincere. Yeah, false praise. Yeah, and uh, and never offer praise that's intended to manipulate because they'll see right through it. Uh, And the last point is praise kids when they control things that they can control. Mm. Never for being gifted or for having special abilities. Mm -hmm. Praise them when they control things that are within their control. Because Mm -hmm. that's the kind of behavior that is going to lead to a properly nuanced self-esteem, a rich and appropriate self-concept, and good self-confidence that isn't uh, motivated by arrogance or the dismissal of other people. Yeah, and I think uh, as teachers, as parents, as we think about how to do this, there's two really important things we have to do. Number one, I think you have to ask questions to kids about the process as they're working. How did you get to this answer, right? Why did you make this word choice in this writing? And, you know, not in a critical way, but, you know, know, tell me how you how you thought about this, right? And then you can actually praise that process. Right. And you say, oh, that's really interesting. I, you know, I like this different way that you've thought about this, or I've not heard that before. That's, I, I really love to hear new things, you know, things like that is maybe a, a, a different way of praising, but I, maybe what I would say is it's validation. Yeah. So you're validating their effort. You are interested in 
what they're coming up with. And that feels like praise to kids, just your own interest and your own um, validation of Uh what they're doing, the work they're putting in, that's real true praise that's going to be motivating. And I think we've got to practice this. We've got to think about what this descriptive praise looks like and sounds like. And we got to practice it as because in the, sometimes it doesn't come to you in the moment in the classroom, you know, and we all fall back on uh, the good jobs. And I like this. Right, and that's great. right, right, right. Yeah. It's just because it's, we've all been trained in that we've, that's all we've heard our lives. So we have to think about things that we can say to students that's specific um, and tailored to where they're at. And when you come across something, or if you can be thinking about it in the morning as you're driving to work, or um, when, when you're um, coming to pick up your kids from school, if you're a parent, you know, what are those start to do some mental rehearsal? What, when you parents, when you ask your kids about how school went, or if you're sitting down to do homework or look at assignments that are turned in, talk to them about it and find those areas that you think you could um, give them that encouragement and validation. Yeah. Yep. Um, maybe even thinking about it in those terms instead of praise uh, yeah. will help. I think there's there's a lot of evidence that 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 strategy will be more productive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, as as always, uh, listeners, we value your feedback. Uh, if you've had some experience of being praised or of giving praise, or uh, if you have some some thoughts on Dweck and mindsets uh, from your own work experience or from you know from your experience as a learner, I'd love to hear about them. Share them on uh, our Facebook group, uh, and uh, you know you can contact me at John Cassie at Gmail, Jennifer your Jennifer McGlemory at Gmail, Jay McGlemory, Jay McGlemory at Gmail. And we'll be back very soon uh, with an episode where we look at the myth of the value of grades. <laughs> yeah. For next time. All right. Thanks, All right. everybody. Thanks. See you, Jen. Bye-bye.